Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, it's a good day, hey? My goodness. Wow, it's good to get a look around, see you guys a little bit, and see. I usually take the chance when I'm worshiping to kind of look around at the room and see who's in the room, and I didn't do that today, so I'm just taking a chance right now to see all your wonderful, beautiful faces. That's good. Well, uh, we have, uh, we've, we've traditionally, we, it didn't happen today, um, but usually during the worship, the kiddos will run up here and they'll grab the flags, and they'll wave the flags like crazy. A couple weeks ago, um, it was just beautiful up here with all the kids waving all the flags. It was really, really, really fun. I don't know if you remember that Sunday. Um, it was, it, we thought it was the fifth Sunday of the month, and so many people thought that it was a children's ministry Sunday, but it wasn't. We fooled them, uh, and so, but they brought the kids anyways, and so the kids were all over the place waving their flags up here. It was really quite, quite fun. Uh, when they were doing it, I noticed that every time there was a pause in the singing, the kids would run back, they'd put the flags away, and they'd run back to their seats. And sometimes it was only like a four or five second pause. In fact, one time when there was a pause, the kids were running back, and on their way back, the music started again, and one of the kids just kind of did a quick U-turn and said, ooh, there's more, and came running back up here again and grabbed the flags again. It was quite exciting. Uh, to see this happening again and again and again is really fun. Next time you see the kids up here, watch for the pauses and see what they do. It's really quite, quite amazing. The kids were very respectful and orderly in their worship. What a strange thing that was. Now, likely, some of you parents have said something like this to your kids. Okay, you can go up there, you can get a flag, and you can wave it around, but when the music stops clean up and come back to your seat. Likely some of you have said that. Now, maybe not all of you, but enough of you have said something like that that all the other kids kind of followed in, in suit. They just did what everybody else was doing. There was much decorum amongst the children in those worship times. It was quite exciting. I find that absolute, absolutely amazing. And it makes sense that we would see that, actually, because you guys are really great parents who who want to make sure that you're honoring the people around you and loving the people around you. And you know, if in the middle of the sermon, a kid was just waving a flag, that would just kind of be a little disruptive. And so you parents have taught your children to come back when the worship is done and put the flags away and and come and grab a seat. That's awesome. It's interesting when we do that, isn't it? Because everybody is able to exuberantly worship, but kind of still be able to honor one another. Everybody worships, Nobody gets hurt, mostly, right? Unless you're like in the front rows. I especially appreciate you guys that have continued to sit right up in the front rows, even though sometimes those flags are waving a little bit close. You guys have done a great job as parents. The church in Corinth could have used a couple of you parents in that church during their worship services. As it turns out, the church in Corinth had Paul, the Apostle Paul, who parented them well in this area, but it didn't start out so well. Let me talk to you, tell you about what I'm talking about. If you've been tracking with us lately, you'll know that we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been doing that for, for a couple months now. And we've just been working through the book of 1 Corinthians, seeing what Paul has said to the Corinthian church. And you'll know that the, the church in Corinth was a hot mess. 
Like they were a hot mess. There was internal division. They were fighting amongst themselves. They, they were trying to one-up each other. There was, there was this crazy disorder. There was rampant sexual immorality. There was favoritism. Uh, they were copying the practices of the culture around them, including idol worship. And they were even disregarding care for one another, especially the least of them, the poor and the powerless, particularly around the Lord's table. It was a hot mess. It was not the way that a church was supposed to function. What we come to today is chapters 12 to 14 in 1 Corinthians. And and what we come to today is a case of incredible chaos in the middle of their worship services. So imagine this scene. I've just had you imagine, or not even imagine, you've experienced what it looks like for the children to lead us in, in honoring proper decorum-laden worship where they, they love other people. But imagine a different scene right now. You show up to the Corinthian worship service 2,000 years ago, and it is mayhem. You can hardly get in the door with all the ruckus that's going on. You've got several different people speaking in unknown languages all over the room, and nobody's interpreting them at all. In fact, um, they're just really shouting as loudly as they possibly can in these languages that you just can't understand. You've got people trying to preach all over the place, not just one preacher, but like five, six different preachers. And as soon as one person gets up and begins to speak, somebody else gets up and starts to interrupt them all over the room. And at certain points, you know there's like a sermon here and a sermon here and a sermon here and a sermon here, and everybody's speaking at the same time. The women in the room who are not used to being in a setting where they get to learn stuff are shouting back and forth to their husbands, asking them questions like, Hey, Harry, what's this guy talking about today? Hey, John, I don't understand what's happening right now. And there's just commotion amongst the women who are trying to learn, but they've never been in this kind of setting before, and so they're yelling to their husbands to help them understand what's going on. There are three different worship teams leading three different songs, and maybe you'd like this, but there's a classical hymn going on over here, and maybe you're like, oh, I'm drawn to that a little bit, and there's a contemporary chorus going on over here, and oh, maybe I want to go and join that one a little bit. There's a raucous clapping dealio where the people in the back are just getting down with whatever's going on, and there's even a few soloists who are belting out their favorite numbers. But nobody's in tune with each other. Everybody's doing something different. In fact, nobody's working even in the children's ministry area because they don't think that the children matter anyways. So the children have gone wild with the flag waving, wild with the flag waving all up and down the aisles. You've got widows who haven't been taken care of, people who need healing over here who who haven't been helped yet, and the poor and the marginalized, they've been seated far way off in the back, likely in a different room altogether, and they can't hear a thing of what's really going on, even if there was a thing to be heard. Imagine walking into a worship service like that. Total chaos, mayhem, Nothing at all would make sense. That's the situation Paul is dealing with here in Corinth. That's what's happening in Corinth. It's total chaos. It was unhealthy for the church, 
and it was incredibly unhealthy and unhelpful for anyone who was coming by to hear about Jesus. Anyone in the community who wanted to know about who this Jesus was, when they would show up to a gathering like this, they would go, no, thank you. I don't want any of that. Now, there's two things that Paul has been contending for all throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. He's been contending for the people to understand who they are in Christ, their identity, and he's been contending for them to understand their mission, their purpose. What was the church called to do? And Paul continues to build towards those two things. He continues to speak about those two things, identity and mission, even as we get into these chapters today. In, in, in addition to this, Paul is building up, you guys are going to be in for a treat next week, is the great climax of this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the great climax of the whole book. It's what Paul has been building up to all the way through. The reason why he's talking to the Corinthian church about all the stuff he's talking to them about is found in 1 Corinthians 15. But as Paul builds to that climax, he has one last hill to climb, and it's this problem of the chaotic worship service. And within the chaotic worship service, there was a great deal of the misuse of the spiritual gifts. So now we're going to look at chapters 12 to 14. If you haven't had a chance to read those chapters before coming this morning, read them later on today. You're likely familiar with them because these are famous chapters. And within these three chapters, there are several frequently taken out of context passages. So these three chapters, people have seen such value in them that they've picked and choose different parts of these chapters to bring out and talk about. Likely, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard 1 Corinthians 13, taken out of context. Nobody gives an explanation of why they're reading that chapter today, what it has to do with 1 Corinthians 12, what it has to do with 1 Corinthians 14. They just read that one chapter, and that's fine. It's not a big deal. It's not a problem. There's so much packed into these three chapters that you could pull stuff out of context, and it's okay. Most of the time, it's done for good purposes. Sometimes it's done for poor purposes, but you can pull these chapters out of context. But today, I hope that when we look at these three chapters in context, together, the way that Paul meant for them to be pulled together, you will see an amazing thing that comes out of this, a reason for why Paul wrote these chapters. As a quick overview for this section, chapter 12 starts speaking about spiritual gifts. That's what Paul begins his conversation around, is spiritual gifts. Halfway through this first chapter, chapter 12, Paul moves into his the church is the body of Christ illustration. Then in chapter 13, that's the love chapter you've probably heard at weddings. And then chapter 14 speaks about decorum in the worship service, what it looks like to stop being chaotic and begin to have some order. Each of these sections, spiritual gifts, the body of Christ, the love chapter, and decorum in worship, have been quoted, like I said, and used on their own out of context. Not always, like I said, in a poor way. But Paul meant for this section to flow together, for one section to build on the other. And we're going to look at that today, especially as we think of Paul's twin points on identity and mission. So let's get right at it, okay? Starting in chapter 12 with the spiritual gifts. Now, this is a super important intro. You've got to really see what Paul is saying here, okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. 
Here's what Paul says. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. That's how the NIV translates, translates it. And actually, most translations say something similar to that. And it's not a bad translation. Uh, but the word that, Paul, that, that is translated here in the English as spiritual gifts is not actually the, the term that Paul uses here. In the Greek, uh, Paul uses a term that really means things of the Spirit, things of the Spirit. He doesn't actually say spiritual gifts. Now, a few verses later in verse 4, Paul goes back to using the terminology spiritual gifts. But here in the beginning, Paul says things of the Spirit. And here's what the verse would actually look like if we, if we had it the way that it, the, the way the Greek actually meant it to be said. 1 Corinthians 12.1 should actually read, now about things of the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, you might look at this and say, hey, it's not a big deal. We know Paul is talking about spiritual gifts here. Um, it doesn't matter whether this passage says things of the Spirit or spiritual gifts. But here's what I want to point out for you, because I think this is super important. I think what happens here is Paul's not actually talking about spiritual gifts. I think Paul is talking about something different. So I want you to look at how the rest of the passage lays out. And I want you to be asking yourself, what is Paul actually talking about here? Because of verse 1, we're primed to look at spiritual gifts. But if we think of it differently as things of the Spirit, I want you to look at what Paul is actually saying here. So be thinking as we're reading these passages, what is Paul actually saying here? So Paul starts off like this in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, we'll come back to this verse in a couple of moments, but let's just continue on. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. I've, I've underlined them, right? So this is, whoa, that's hard to read. I'm sorry, I'll try to do a better job next time of doing the PowerPoint. Can you read that okay? Okay, okay. So here's what Paul says. I've underlined the important stuff. So I'm kind of drawing you guys to a conclusion, but you guys hopefully will see that, that that's what Paul's talking about. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. As you look at that paragraph... What is it that pops out to you? Now, certainly there's a listing of giftings there, but what pops out to you in that passage? What, is, what do you think Paul is focusing on as he goes through this paragraph? You can shout it out if you have an idea. The, the Spirit, right? The Spirit. He goes on and on. Like, you would think that Paul would just say, here's the spiritual gifts and give you a list, but Paul says... Not each one is the manifestation of the Spirit, through the Spirit, by means of the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by that one Spirit, the work of one and the same Spirit. He just goes on and on and on about the Spirit. This is not a chapter about gifts on their own. 
This is a chapter about the Spirit. And as you read through the rest of this section, you'll see in chapters 12, 13, and 14 that what is happening in Corinth is the people are walking in the power of the Spirit and displaying the gifts of the Spirit, but they're doing so divided and in disorder. They have an erroneous view, and this comes out as you read these passages. They have an erroneous view that some people have God's favor because they display the gifts, especially speaking in tongues and prophecy. Some of the people in the church in Corinth believe that they are the best of the best because they're doing these things. Paul is emphasizing that these gifts are not the sign that some people have God's approval or that some people are better than others. That's not what the gifts are for. The gifts are not there to divide you. God's Spirit has given gifts, and He's given gifts to each one. Everyone has a gift of the Spirit. And the Spirit is given to each one just as He determines, not because they are more or less worthy or more or less favored. We have to go to another book for a moment because it's going to help us out here. So in the book of Ephesians, which Paul also wrote, there's another list of gifts that are similar to the gifts that Paul lists a little further in 1 Corinthians 12. In Ephesians, Paul gives us some some insightful help as to what the gifts or the purpose of the gifts are. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians. Paul says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In Ephesians, Paul points out that the purpose of giving these gifts, the the shepherds, the teachers, the evangelists, the pastors, the apostles, the reason for giving these gifts to the church is so that the church could be built up and strengthened and grown into maturity. That's the purpose of the gift, and it's the same purpose for these gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12. The purpose of the gifts is not to show which person has God's favor, It's not to divide the church into the prophets and the tongue speakers and the the others. It's not to divide or to, to break anything down. It's to build up the church, to encourage the church, to strengthen the church, to bring the church to maturity. But what's happening in Corinth is that the Corinthians are hyper fixating on the gifts They're hyper-fixating on the gifts and not the Spirit or the purpose for which the gifts were given. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you've got to understand all of this comes from the Spirit. The Spirit is the focus, not the gifts. Okay, so watch this. We're going to go back for a moment to that passage I said we'd come back to, back in verse 4, okay? So back in verse 4, here's what Paul wrote. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. But but, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Okay, so Paul first began talking about the things of the Spirit, and he's trying to convince the Corinthian church that the Spirit is the gift, basically. 
that the Spirit is, is who's important here. And the Spirit gives out the gifts for the building up the church. But Paul's also doing something else in this passage that's super important to what we're going to see coming in just a couple of verses. Look at this passage one more time. And I want you to try to see what Paul is talking about in this passage, in, starting in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in everyone, it is the same God at work. Do you see what, what Paul just did in this passage? Paul points out the Trinity. This is one of those places in Scripture that we look to that we see the Trinity at work, that Paul greatly describes what the work of the Trinity is. We see the Spirit, we see the Lord, and that's Jesus Christ, and we see God the Father in this passage. And you need to pay attention to this passage because Paul is trying to set up something very important for us. There's about, there's about to be something that starts in verse 12 that Paul is trying to draw us towards. So I want you to now look at, look at verse 12 with me for a moment. Okay, So here's verse 12 up on the screen. Paul says the body is a unit. This is the beginning of Paul's passage talking about the illustration of the body of Christ. Paul says the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. Do you see that? So it is with Christ. Don't miss this, because this is super important. So it is with Christ. When did Christ talk lots about being one? When did Christ talk lots about being one? Do you guys remember back in John, starting in, in chapter, uh, John, the Gospel of John, starting in, in chapter 14 and going through the end of chapter 17? Jesus is sitting down with his disciples. And this, these are the last instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples before he goes to be crucified. And in this section, Jesus says the word one like a ton of times. Over and over and over again, he talks about being one. And he talks about he and the Father being one. And he invites his disciples to be one with him and one with the Father. Okay? So here's what, here's what at the end of this section in chapter 17 of John, here's what Jesus prays for all of us. Here's what Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, Paul would have known this prayer. This would have, would have been one of the central prayers of Jesus that would have been repeated. And so Paul would have known this prayer, that the greatest thing that Jesus could have given to us is that we would be one with each other and with Jesus as Jesus was one with the Father and the Spirit. The body illustration Paul gives here is not a body of disjointed parts, but a body mixed together and held together by Christ, just as Christ is held together with the Father and the Spirit. Okay, so I know this is a lot, and we've got more, okay? I know this is a lot, but, but look at what Paul is doing here. He's beginning to break down the division that's happening in the Corinthian church. And he starts by talking about the, the Trinity, 
And then he talks about the gifts because he knows the gifts are dividing people. And he's saying, hey, all the gifts that you have that you think set you up over one another, it actually all comes from the same spirit and every single one of you has that spirit. So as, as opposed to the gifts dividing you, the spirit unites you. And it's even greater than that. We are the body. We're the body of Christ. And we look just like Christ did with the Father and the Spirit. So rather than we, us thinking of, of the Trinity as being three different gods, we, we understand the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit connected, just as Jesus talked about to his disciples in, in the Gospel of John. And now Paul is saying that's what we're invited into, that we are the body. We are meant to be one with Jesus, just as Jesus is one with the, with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So rather than the spirit dividing or the spiritual gifts dividing, all of this is meant to draw you together as the body of Christ. All together as the body of Christ. That's what Paul is trying to do in this first section here. He's trying to draw the church back together to get rid of the division and convince them that they are meant to be as Christ. One together, the body so then Paul needs to talk about this in the context that Jesus talked about this, right? Because Jesus didn't just say, I and the Father are one. You guys should be one to strive really hard and make this work. Rather, Paul says the same thing Jesus said. There is something that holds the Godhead together. We know this from Jesus. There's something that holds the Godhead together that also holds the church together. Now, if you guys have been a part of this church for a while, you've heard me preach on this many times. What is it that holds the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together? What holds them together? What is it? What was it? Clay. Not quite. <laughs> what is it? What is it that holds the Godhead together that Jesus spoke about all the time? Love. That's right. It's love. You guys are like, it must be, that's too easy of an answer. No, it is the answer. It's the answer. Love is what holds the Godhead together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit connected in this agape love, the God kind of love, the love that is self-sacrificing, the love that puts others first, the love that is unconditional. It doesn't love you because you love them, but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are connected by the agape love of God and held together and so that's why, as Paul finishes talking about spiritual gifts, and it's the spirit that holds us together, and it's the, it's the body of Christ that we're supposed to be, that's why at the end of chapter 12, what does Paul begin to talk about? What's chapter 13? Love. Because that's what holds it all together. God's kind of love. The kind of love that holds together Christ the Father and the, Son and the Holy Spirit is the same love that's going to hold the body of Christ together. Agape love, God's kind of love, is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Now, you've probably read this passage so many times that you've sort of just went off to another place as I read it, didn't you? 
You kind of was like, I, I know the love chapter. I've heard it a thousand times. I'm not even going to listen right now. I'm just going to blank out for a moment, make sure my grocery list is all set. Do I have enough gas in my car to get home? Okay, I'm good to go, right? Stop it. Look for a minute. Put yourselves in the shoes of the Corinthians, hearing this for the first time, with all of their brokenness. Okay, the Corinthian church was divided, it was disorderly, there was rampant sexual morality, there was favoritism, they were even disregarding of the poor and the powerless, particularly around the Lord's table. All that was true. So put yourselves in those shoes for a moment and listen. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I'm better than you. Uh, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It, love does not delight in evil like the sexual immorality that they were steeped in. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. What were they doing? They weren't protecting. Right? Their, their women were going unprotected. The, their, the poor and powerless were going unprotected. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Like when you think of it in the context of what Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church, that passage changes. When you think of it in context of what we're going through, that passage changes. This, this passage, this section, is the crux of Paul's main point for the Corinthians in these three chapters. You're all divided. You're separated. You're offended. You're, you're trying to one-up each other. But Christ is one. And we are called to be one in the body of Christ. And we can only do that with God's kind of love, the love that is self-sacrificing, that actually puts others first, that is unconditional. We need God's kind of love for one another. We need it. So now you might be asking yourselves, well, what does that look like? Like, what's the tangible reality of God's kind of love lived out in the church? What does that look like? And, and likely the Corinthians were going to ask the same question. Paul, what does that help us out? What does that look like? So here's where chapter 14 comes into play. Right? So chapter 12, the, the Spirit unites us, the body of Christ. Chapter 13, united by love. Now this is what it looks like, chapter 14. Here's what it looks like. And there's three points I just want to touch on briefly out of chapter 14. First, Paul comes back to the spiritual gifts. Because remember, that was the problem in the beginning. The spiritual gifts were dividing the church. But now Paul is saying that's not what they're meant to do. They're meant to draw the church together. So if they're drawing the church together, look at this. Follow the way of love. Okay, because that's going to draw you together. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. Wait a second, Paul. Isn't this what got us into trouble in the first place? There were people prophesying all over the room. Shouldn't we just say, don't use the gifts? Hey, you know what? If they've done this kind of harm to divide the church, shouldn't we stay away from them as much as we can? No, because the purpose of the gifts is to draw the church together, to empower it and strengthen it and to grow it and mature it. 
So rather than saying, you've used them wrong, so we're just going to stop using them altogether, Paul's saying, start with love. Once you've started with love, now let's use the gifts. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. They may have been using gifts poorly, but the gifts of the Spirit are still meant to be used for the good of the church. Paul encourages the Corinthians and us to desire spiritual gifts. I remember quite a few summers now ago, I bought my young, got my youngest girl a bike. It might have been a hand-me-down. I don't think it was brand new. But I got her a bike, and I thought, I'm going to teach her how to ride. All my other kids were riding their bikes. And I got my daughter this gift of a bike, and I wanted to teach her how to ride. So that first summer, she got on her bike, she fell off it, and she was like, nope, and that summer was gone. There was no more bike riding. She was like, nope, not going to do it. I'm like, okay, fine. Winter hit. There's no more bike riding in wintertime. So we waited until the, the spring came. Spring came again. I'm like, okay, let's get her out on the bike. This is the summer. It's going to happen. She was like, nope, I want nothing to do with the bike all summer long. Nothing to do with the bike. She'd see her friends riding their bikes. She'd see the family riding their bikes. We'd go out for family bike rides. She's like, nope, not going to do it. So I'm like, okay, fine. So that summer came and went gone. The third summer now, I'm like, I don't even know if I should try, but I'm going to try again. Let's get my daughter out there. Let's see, would you, this, this is a gift. This is a gift I want you to use. Put the bike out there. She jumped on the bike and she was off like a shot, like she had been riding her bike for years. Like first thing out, she was gone, no problem. And she rode her bike all summer long, delighted, gleeful, laughing and giggling and riding up and down the block and just enjoying the bike like nobody's business. And, and she, like, she'll be like, even today, like even in the winter, she's like, is it, is it good bike riding weather? Like, can I go out? I'm like, no, there's like ice everywhere. In the spring, like before there's anything melting at all, she's like, is it time yet to get on my bike and get going? She wants to use the bike. She wants to just go. She even goes to that the dirt bike park that we have out there, and she goes to the hardest jumps on it, and she's just like giving her over these hard, hard jumps because she's just loving the gift of the bike. And I am loving her using the gift. So it is with our Heavenly Father. He's given us gifts to use. He's given us gifts to use. And when we use the gifts, when we desire the gifts, He's not a stingy God that's up there going like, I don't know, I don't want to give you any more gifts. He's a God that says, yeah, you want some more gifts? Here we go. We're going to give you gifts like crazy. You want to use gifts? Let's do it. And He wants to give gifts to the people in His church to build up His church. He's such a good God. So that's the first thing, that we are to desire spiritual gifts. The second thing, Paul especially encourages gifts that build up the church, like the gift of prophecy. We opened up our service with a couple of words that people prayed about and listened to Jesus and gave these prophetic words. It's exciting to hear what, we, what God is speaking, and we take those words and we pray about them and we think about them. God, what are you speaking to your church? They're their words or visions or scriptures or pictures that people hear from God as they are praying for our church. We spend time as a board of elders listening to Jesus and seeing is there stuff that he wants us to prophesy or to speak over our church? Is there things that he's drawing our attention to? The gift of prophecy is an amazing gift. And Paul encourages us to especially desire the gifts that build up the church. And we've actually set up a way for these words to come to us. 
So if you're sitting there someday and you're listening and you're, you're coming before Jesus and it feels like Jesus is speaking to you a word of prophecy or a, a picture or a scripture that you feel like God is asking you to give to us, we have a way of doing that. This is actually the third point that I want to bring up is that Paul says in chapter 14, verse 33, that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Paul encourages order when we're using the gifts. So when someone has a word or a hymn or a prophecy, uh, we, uh, we don't just jump up in the middle of the service. Like if you just jumped up right now and started singing a hymn, or you jumped up right now and started speaking in tongues or something like that, it might be a little strange. It might be a little disorderly. Okay? We wouldn't necessarily say it's wrong right out of the bat. Like, I don't know, maybe there's a song that needs to be sung right now. Okay? We would kind of weigh that out and figure it out. But we've actually set up a way that people can bring these things to the leadership. The Corinthian was a hot mess because they just kind of did their own thing. But in the church ruled by God's agape love, we take turns. We submit to one another. We love and serve one another when we use our gifts. So here at BAC, we encourage the use of the gifts, especially those that build up the church. And we invite people to bring them in an orderly way. So we have people bring their prophetic gifts, their hymns, their revelations, their tongues to the pastors and the elders who then take those things and pray through them and bring those things to the congregation if we feel like that's an appropriate place for those things to come. Now, we're not trying to limit the power to just a few people. What we're actually trying to do is spread out the power. God has given gifts to every one of you. and We want you to use your gifts. But we also recognize that we're learning. And we're trying to create a pathway for people to learn how to use their gifts but also be to bring them forward so that the congregation can be built up and strengthened. That's what we did with these prophetic words that came at the beginning of the service. We invited those to come from our congregation. We also have a couple more for you. Pastor Amy is going to come back at the end of the service here and, and give you a couple of the other prophetic, gift, uh, prophetic uh, words that we have brought up. But the point of this whole section, I'm coming to my end here, so if the worship team wants to come on up. The point of this whole section chapters 12 to 14 of 1 Corinthians, is that we are the body of Christ. We're held together with Christ's agape love. We're filled with the Spirit who manifests His gifts through us for the building up of the church. Each of us has gifts, none better than the others, gifts we are meant to use for the sake of the building up of the body of Christ. So the question for us today, here's the question I want to leave you with today. How am I using the gifts the Spirit has placed in me to lovingly build up the body of Christ? And I want you to seriously ask this question of yourself. You might need to go away and think about this throughout this week, but I'm asking you to seriously uh, or take this question seriously. So the worship team is going to lead us in a song. After that, Pastor Amy's going to come up and she's going to give a couple more of those prophetic words and she's going to uh, pray a benediction over us and dismiss us. But I want you to be asking yourself this question today and throughout this week. How am I using the gifts the Spirit has placed in me to lovingly build up the body of Christ? So let's be praying that together, asking that together, speaking to Jesus about that together. And why don't you stand here and let's, uh, let's sing this last closing song together. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com.
We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ, and then make him known.